Welcome to the church family that is lifting lives through living love, inspiring hope, filling with faith, and transforming our world. These recorded messages are made available so that you might have additional opportunities to stay connected with us, and then you might learn and grow in your faith. God bless you as you hear the word today. And now, the message. Good morning. Our scripture this morning is from the letter to Romans from Paul, chapter 16, verses 17 through 23. I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the leadership <clears throat> excuse me, you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I am full of joy over you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, sends his greetings to you, as do Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my relatives. Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greets you in the Lord. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, sends you his greetings. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. As uh, we said at the beginning of worship, we're starting a new series called Connect the Dots uh, about being connected as a church. You know, you probably remember these puzzles when you were a kid. Uh, you might have been reminding them as you walked down the hallways and saw the dots with the numbers on them. You, you know, the pages look like, you know, where there should be a picture. You just get a bunch of numbers and you go from one to two to whatever, you know, it may be and, and, and slowly a picture forms. Now, when you're a kid, the, the puzzles look like this, like you have a pre pretty good idea what you're going to draw before you, know, you get started, but they have adult extreme dot-to-dot -dot puzzles, uh, the, 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 the dots that number up into the thousands that look something like this, and you have no idea what it's going to be until you just get started and go dot-to-dot-to-dot-to-dot. And that's part of the fun of these puzzles is as you go from dot-to-dot, -dot, you slowly see a picture emerge. Now, I want you to imagine a dot, if you would, that appears in the puzzle that doesn't have a number connected to it at all. And imagine as dots are connected from one to another, lines will get drawn around this dot, but it will never be connected into the larger picture. How would such, if such a dot could have feelings, how do you think it would feel? You'd probably feel isolated, alone, disregarded, forgotten even. I think there's a lot of people in today's world that feel somewhat like a disconnected dot. They aren't connected to the larger picture. They don't know where they fit in. There's, an, you know, there's tons of studies out there that talk about how loneliness is increasing you know, in, in today's world. In fact, the Surgeon General recently labeled loneliness as a health epidemic with adverse health effects equivalent to smoking or other bad habits we have. That's what loneliness is doing in our world and in our lives. And so we're going to spend the next month talking about what it means to live a connected life, or more specifically, what it means for us to be a connected community. 
How do we stay connected to one another? How do we stay connected to God as we move through you know, life at the speed and pace of our world today? How are we called to be connected to one another? Now, normally I preach a message and then sometimes I say, you know, quarter of the time we'll have a conversation that follows the message. But today we're going to kind of flip it around and I want to have a conversation before I dive into the scripture and everything from the message today. And we're going to have this conversation with young adults in our church. So I invite you guys, come on up uh, to join me up here. Uh, Because I think young adults in particular are experiencing this disconnectedness of our world and our life and and they can talk with us about what this looks like for us as a church. Um, Now as they are coming up up and getting seated, I just want to remind you, we have these pictures in our hallway that look like this, you know, that, you know, that that's the way we often think of connecting the dots as you move through life, that you just move from one stage to the next. But as our friends at the Fuller Youth Institute have taught us, this is not what life looks like, or the previous one is not what life looks like. This is what life now looks like for young adults. It's crazy and all over the place. And there's a lots of different ways that people are trying to connect the dots today. And you guys, I think, can speak to this. So I'm going to grab the open seat here and there's a microphone right there. Isaac, do you mind picking that up and going around and, you know, just introduce yourselves uh, to everybody. Uh, Hey folks, my name is Isaac Kitchell. I've been a part of this church for as long as I can remember. (laughs) I'm Kara Connolly. Same. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, I'm Anna and I've been here since the eighth grade. I'm Josh Hamilton. I've been a part of this church since about fifth grade, starting at the Rock program. Yeah. And all of you are recent graduates of college, and, uh, you know, we're so glad you're, you're here with us as young adults. So, um, uh, first question, and I don't know who's going to take it. Uh, you guys kind of worked out, but I'll just leave this here, and you can grab it like, I don't know, hot potatoes. So, uh, so the first question is this, is when I use the word connection, what does connection mean to you? Like an authentic connection? Um, so an authentic connection for me would be being able to listen and be judgment, uh, non-judgmental and um, just respecting someone else even when they have a different perspective. Okay, nice. So let me ask a follow-up question. Is simply liking a comment on Facebook, is that an authentic connection? I would probably say no. <laughs> but so I think you can have like surface level connections and deeper connections, and those can both be authentic, but it does have to be in person. Second question I wanted to ask you guys is about, I mean, since you're recent college grads and we have lots of college students out there who are going back to school in the next couple weeks, uh, uh, some even this week. I'm just curious, when you moved away from, uh, you know, Zionsville to go to school, did you experience a feeling of disconnection along the way at, at any point? I'm going to start off with something that uh, my fiance told me a couple months ago, which was that since she moved away to college, she hasn't lived in one place for longer than a year. And I think that kind of contributes to a lot of it, where you wind up feeling a lot like a nomad, where the people that you meet and the people that you talk with aren't going to be there for, you know, a year. (laughs) Right. So 
you to borrow from Kurt Vonnegut, you kind of wind up feeling unstuck <laughs> a little bit, like you're kind of just floating through life, and anything that's around you is going to be gone in another couple minutes. So that's my experience, at least. Yeah, it's kind of the same thing. I mean, with the, I don't know what department you would have graduated from or where you went, honestly. We should probably connect a little bit more about that. <laughs> but uh, I know for myself, um, I was with Purdue's Department of Forestry and Natural Resources, and we have a tendency to either go one of two career paths, which is either you do field work as a technician or you go to higher education and you spend the rest of your life doing research. And most of my friends have opted for the field work path, which means I've got friends in Colorado, Alaska, Utah, Kansas, Oregon, wherever across the United States. And they really do like follow that nomadic lifestyle that you were talking about. And that feeling of disconnection to some extent postgraduate, I mean, yeah, you really start to miss the people that you had these authentic connections with and you start to you know try to bring them back but when they're far away it, it can be difficult but you know you still keep in touch with them and you try to keep those connections that you had and it can be challenging at times but you know i think the um the connection formed lasts a lot longer than we think and that connection can be maintained regardless of where we are right so you, you actually kind of anticipated my next question, which is, I think when you go to college, there's this experience of disconnection of like all the friendships and the network of relationships you had that you got your identity from is gone. But then like, I think it's, I think it's even harder when you come back to a place that is familiar and home and everyone expects you to be the same person, but you're not, you're different. So, so I want to, I guess I want to ask the question, how has it been coming back home, do you feel disconnected or how have you experienced disconnection even here? Coming back to Zionsville, I mean, this is kind of an interesting town to come back to, especially in recent years with how much development has happened. I mean, like you drive down these streets where it was once a cornfield and now it's a whole neighborhood and being gone for years on end, uh, not to sound dramatic, but gone for years on end and you come back to all these places that are now kind of unfamiliar where it's like, I don't really know what's going on here anymore. But I think to some extent it always kind of stays the same, even if it changes, because you don't lose too much of what you established while you were here, right? Like the high school is still here, middle school is still here, Mulberry is still here, even the CVS down in the village is still here. So, <laughs> I mean, it's all these places that we once knew and we would, you know, travel to, ride bikes to CVS, get a bag of candy, go back to someone's house, spend the night, yada, yada, yada. But like, even though stuff changes, and we change with it, I think that change kind of allows us to grow and become better, different people that can evolve with the change. Nice, yeah. Well, I think about, I mean, if you guys are talking about just four years, I know for many of you who've lived here decades, you've seen just incredible changes. And yeah, there's, take it away, Isaac. I was going to say that the experience of living on your own for that time, it also changes you. So you come back and, you know, suddenly a town feels a lot smaller. <laughs> even though it's gotten bigger. <laughs> even, though, even though it's gotten bigger, it feels smaller uh, because you've seen how big the world is. And that kind of adds to, I think, in some cases, not in mine specifically, but it adds to this kind of feeling like, you know, this is just another place now. It's just another place that you're stopping for a little while. 
I think that also what doesn't get talked about a lot is while we're all growing and we know that we've all grown, sometimes you go back to your old hometown relationships and you think that they haven't grown or you kind of still think of who they were before they made their growth. So the transition period of trying to find out who the new relationships are and who we are as we've grown, that's really difficult. And I don't think we talk about that enough, but. Yeah. So how does your faith help you stay connected in some ways? Like, I mean, as you're going through this nomadic journey, unstuck, how does your faith play into that? I think for a lot of people, it's a point that kind of tethers them back into reality. A lot of people that I've met get involved with the church because it's something familiar that they can find anywhere they go in their in their journey. And, you know, I, I could... I could talk for a long time about this and how I think it's contributing to various factors, but um, I, I think that's it. I think people want something that makes them feel like they're like they're at home, like it's something that they know. And for a lot of people, religion and church is one of those things. Um, I know that I've been here a while and I've grown here, but even when I come in today, like. I can come in and a weight is just lifted off my shoulders. I know that I'm home and I can be myself. And um, so no matter what happens um, in Zionsville or if I move or whatever, I can come here and feel comfortable. That's pretty much exactly what I was going to say as well. <laughs> Where, yeah, I mean, this is a place of familiarity over the course of, you know, 10 plus years either working with Kathy and the Rock program or coming here and seeing new people. My grandparents recently came here from St. Luke, so it's it's a whole bunch of new and it's also old and familiar and this beyond just the building, it's the family, the faith family that we've established here over countless years that really makes this feel more like a home. You said that word home and to me that's a good word. You know, home can be dynamic, it doesn't have to be like stuck at a certain place. We all need a home when we're nomadic, you know, when we're kind of unstuck. And I think, you know, I think about faith, like you were saying, Isaac, like sometimes we want faith to be like solid and familiar and comfortable. But like for me, I looked at my 20s, like college and then seminary afterward, like my faith, like in some ways felt like it got taken apart and then put back together. And that was scary and tough. But at the same time, like I do think of their relationships not just people, but relationships that were home for me that like I could put those questions on the shelf and continue. Like I knew I was still figuring things out, but it was like, I knew I was home and that was a gift. Um, and so my last question is how can the church be home for you guys? Like what, 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 you know, as you are in this age stage of life, like what, what do you need from the church at this moment? I think kind of what we've been talking about, how we all kind of feel nomadic in a sense, where none of us are really fully settled at this point. Some of us are living in like starter homes or our parents' houses. Um, but I think that the church, what it has been doing is giving us a sense of support and a place where we can go, where we don't have to be fully flushed out individuals. We're just a work in progress, and but you guys are willing to work with us with that. So that's what I need. Anything else you want to add? There's a microphone right here. So uh, anything else you want to add? And, uh... 
Um, speaking specifically about things this church has done, uh, you guys have given uh, care packages to people who go away to college. I, I know for a lot of people that that's meant a lot. I know that when I got them, I, I got a little smile on my face. And I think for a couple people, at, for at least a couple people, it's encouraged people to go, hey, maybe I should find a church here in college where I'm at. And even if it doesn't necessarily encourage people to come back to our church, it definitely encourages them to remain in the faith, which I think is a very good thing for people of our generation. So, Say, oh. say to kind of tangent off of your church comment, I found that really interesting because when I went to college, I found it really hard to find a new church because I was so familiar with the ones that I had at home, whether it be the church I attended previously or this one, where it's almost like the kind of going back to Tracy's circle story where it's like, I don't want to leave my little circle that I've kind of drawn for myself. And I, you know, felt really rooted. Like I would watch the services online on Sundays and stuff like that. But, you know, I think, um, for young adults, it can be hard to kind of explore that new unfamiliar territory where it's like, we don't really know where we're going to go or what we're going to do. And these people are all new and different and we don't kind of want to go outside of our circle. And I wish I would have done that a little bit more, to be honest, in college of going outside and seeing more of what not only the faith family, but just in life in general had to kind of offer. And so I think it's something that um, really needs to be discussed more amongst young adults. Now, here's the good news. You guys had a whole lifetime or when I know I know you're going to uh, Australia. So guess what? You're going to see new and, <laughs> and Wales. And, you know, I just want to thank you guys for uh, your leadership and your time here in our church. And can you guys join me in giving a round of applause for these young adults? So one of the things uh, I, I think Isaac was one who mentioned that uh, we are doing uh, uh, that we always do care packages, but this year we're adding an extra layer to our college ministry. And Ashley, oh, you don't need this microphone. You have a mic. Uh, can you share with people what we're doing this year for college uh, students? Right. So last year we sent 50 college care packages out and we had um, some people, and I know the Tuesday morning Bible study and some other SAM members, they wrote letters and they put inside the college care packages. And one of the things that we heard back was the students loved those letters. It made them feel very connected connection. at home yeah. and they just seemed to always come at the right time. So this year, what we're doing is we're doing um, adopt a college student. And so what this means is you can sign up and then we will pair you up with the college student. And the only thing we ask is that you communicate with them via a written letter, card or something monthly and that you're praying for them. And then we'll send you, you know, monthly reminders or whatever to, or prayer ideas or whatever. And then in December, we would gather you together with the college students so you guys can meet, have dinner and get to know each other more. And the commitment is just the end of August through the end of May during this time to form that connection and that relationship. Because as you heard, it's, they kind of feel lost and looking for that connection back here. So you can, there's a sign up out there, but you can find me after service too. And I have signed up. And if you are a parent and, yes. and want to sign up your, your student for this, uh -huh. uh, or, you know, or if you're a student and want to sign up uh -huh. and be adopted, there's a QR code right there on the screen. Yeah. And if you want to support someone, come find me or there's a sign up in the Narthex. So yeah. yeah. Thanks, Ashley. When I was uh, a freshman at Davidson College, uh, um, I, I, 
I remember there's a big student fair, you know, kind of that orientation process. And I thought, well, I need to sign up for something to do community service. And so I signed up for an adopt a grandparent program. So it was actually kind of the flip side of adopt a student. There was a nursing home in the town and I adopted a grandparent. Uh, and his name was Dr. Jim Gregory. He was, of all things, a retired pastor. And, um, and I, of course, at that moment, had no desire to become a pastor. I thought I was going to be a doctor or something. You know, I was pre-med. And, and, and I look back on that relationship and what an amazing gift it was to be connected to someone that I didn't know prior to that moment. But as I was sorting through all those questions of faith, I remember conversations with Dr. Gregory where he wasn't trying to save my soul or witness to me. He was just testifying to his faith and his life experience with God. And that had just had a profound influence on me. So I really encourage you, even if you don't, even if it's random, even if you get paired with someone you don't know, you never know how God is going to use that relationship. So in the remainder of my time this morning, I just want to speak a little bit about connection and what connection looked like in the early church and in order to do that, I have to kind of set the stage for what Roman society was like in which the early church was formed. And I'm, uh, I want to acknowledge at the outset, I'm kind of inde indebted to a book called The Life We're Looking For by Andy Crouch, uh, in which he kind of sets the stage of what Roman life looked like. So Roman culture was highly stratified. Do you know what that means? Stratified means there were different layers of society and with, with kind of unbridgeable, like you didn't, you know, this, the layer you were born into is the layer you would stay in. You, there was not a lot of social movement. And so some people by sheer grace and luck were born into a stage of life or, you know, or a stage of society where there was lots of connections, where they had social capital and wealth and, you know, they, they lived a connected life, but there are lots of other people born into the lower classes that experienced a disconnected life. Maybe they were connected to their home and their family, but they weren't connected to anyone else in society. They, they were, you know, I guess what I'm saying is there was no climbing the ladder in Roman society because the ladder didn't even exist. Not everyone was even understood to be a person in Roman society. A person in Roman society was someone who was, who was, you know, Roman citizen for starters. So if you were a member of another country or region that had been conquered by Rome, you weren't a person. You had to be male, had to be a landowner. Those were the only people who were persons who had legal rights as Roman citizens. Then there were the great majority of others were non-persons, foreigners, laborers, women, children. And some people, 20% of the population in the Roman Empire, weren't even, were even less than that. They were res. They were stuff. They were slaves, property. In fact, just to kind of emphasize, you know, how non-person you could be, a great number of the people in Roman society didn't even carry proper names. If you were born the child of a slave, or if you were born to a lower class family and you were born far enough back in the birth order that you would never stand a chance of inheriting, you know, the, the property carrying on the father's name, then you wouldn't be given a proper name. You would be named after the order in which you were born or perhaps after the month in which you were born. So a common name in Rome was Tertius, which just literally meant three you're born in the third month, or perhaps you're the third in your family. A tertius was a nobody. It was number three of who knows how many mouths to feed to be apprenticed or sold off when they're grown. A tertius 
was a nobody. You didn't carry even a proper name. Except in today's Bible story, and the scripture that Linda read a few moments ago, there was a Tertius. Now, Tertius is not a hero of the Bible. None of us really know his story. I bet most of you didn't even notice it when Linda read the name. Because again, a Tertius was a nobody. We don't know much about Tertius. We don't know if he was a slave or free. We do know one thing about him is that he was educated enough to read and write because that was his job. He was a scribe. Tertius made his way through Roman society by taking down the thoughts of men who were more important and influential than he was. And in this particular example, he was Paul's scribe, and he wrote down Paul's letter to the Romans. Now, we know that Paul used scribes for many of his letters. For example, his letter, his first letter to the Corinthians, at the very end, he says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. So you have to imagine all the rest of the letter was written in someone else's hand, a scribe. And then Paul takes a moment to write his own personal greeting at the end. That's how Romans was also written. Now, Romans is different from all the other letters that Paul wrote, though. Because all the other letters that Paul wrote, he was writing to churches that he had founded, or leaders whom he had mentored. He was always responding to crises or controversies in those particular locations and giving them, you know, kind of personal instructions. The letter to the Romans was different because he was writing to a church that he had never met before. It was Paul's dream, his hope one day to travel to Rome, to preach the gospel at the center of the Roman Empire, and, and he hoped that when he went to Rome, that he would be connected to a home, to a church body, a community that would receive him. So this was his letter of introduction, the letter to the Romans. And because it was a letter of introduction, he wasn't responding to crises or controversies. Instead, he was trying to set forth, here is the gospel I preach. Here is what I believe about Jesus Christ. It's the closest thing we ever get to a systematic theology from Paul. So you have to imagine writing this letter to the Romans for Paul was a labor of love. It would have taken him likely days to kind of work through all of the arguments. And you can imagine along the way that he would have you know, stopped and said, Tertius, read that back to me. And he would kind of rework what he had to say or perhaps scrap it all together. But after days of kind of working through this entire letter, you know, getting his thoughts just right. At the very end, Paul does what he always does which he addresses people by name. The whole 16th chapter of Romans is the list of his greetings. And again, Paul is doing this because it's a letter of introduction. He wants it to be as personal as possible. So even though he's never been to the church, he's naming people whom he's met along his journeys. And as he's naming everyone, he gets towards the end. And then Paul does something which I think says more about the gospel perhaps, than anything else he had written before. He pauses for a moment, and then you can imagine him saying, hey, Tertius, you should say something too. And suddenly the scribe is visible, and he has a name. Andy Crouch writes about this. He says, Tertius' appearance is a co-author of Paul's letter, expands the circle of brothers and sisters to include those who do anonymous work. 
those who normally take orders, those who arrive without being greeted and depart without being noticed, those who are named something like number three. Tertius is in our story. Then Tertius kind of writes, so the next few verses are not from Paul, but instead from Tertius. He says, I, Tertius, the writer of this letter, greet you in the Lord. And then he adds three other people. He says, Gaius, Erastus, and Quartus greet you as well. Now let's just pause and look at those names for a second. So first we have Gaius. Now Gaius is a property owner. He is a paterfamilias. He's the head of a household. In fact, his household is so large that he hosts the entire church in the city of Corinth. He's an important man. And next to him, there's Erastus, who is the city treasurer. Again, someone of influence and wealth. You can imagine that Gaius and Erastus, they were accustomed to sitting down to meals together because that's how business got done in the Roman world, sitting, reclining at a table as, as deals were made. That's how you know, leadership happened. That sounds normal, but then who's the next person? Quartus. Anyone want to take a guess what Quartus means? Number four. We don't know if Quartus was a brother, perhaps, of Tertius, his little brother that came after him, or perhaps some other random Quartus in the world. But we know that in the Roman world, he was nobody. And yet he's mentioned in the same breath, in the same sentence, with Gaius and Erastus. And also around this table, of course, you have Paul. And Paul was a Roman citizen, someone of influence. He was educated and learned. But here's the thing, Paul was a Jew. And Jews didn't associate with Gentiles. Go back a few years, Paul wouldn't have even stepped foot in Gaius' home, much less sat at a table with him and broke bread. And then, of course, there's Phoebe. And Phoebe is mentioned at the very beginning of Paul's letter. He says he commends Phoebe to the Romans as a leader of the church and a benefactor of many, someone who has helped many. And, and, and Phoebe is important because she's the one who's actually going to carry this letter that Paul just wrote to the Roman church. And when she carries, so she has that honor of carrying Paul's letter. And when, he, when she presents it, he commends her as a leader, receive her, welcome her as a leader among you who can do great things. You see what I'm saying? At this table, we don't know a whole lot about them, but you have two people, Gaius and Erastus, who were men of influence and wealth and power. They were persons. And then you have two non-persons, Quartus and Tertius, who were there as well, combined with a Jew and a woman. It is a strange gathering of people. And then you even look at all the other names that Paul wrote in that one chapter of Romans. He includes as many women as he does men almost, which is very strange in that day. The names he lists, some of them are Jewish, some of them are Greek, some of them are Roman. Some of them are uh, young. You know, he, did, he, he reaches out to Rufus, whose mother he knows, so we can infer that Rufus was young. He reaches out to people who are old, people who are from high noble names as well as common dwellers. Uh, you know, everyone was included in this list of names. And, and the thing is, you know, if you're anything like me, you skip over these names when you're reading Romans. 
You get to the end, you're like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. A bunch of people greet you in the Lord, greet you in the Lord, greet you in the Lord. That's enough. I got it, Paul. We get the picture. But if you really look at the names, you get a glimpse, a picture of the diversity of the early church that seated at one table, surrounded in one household, were these people that Roman society would never put together. Roman society wasn't built to connect people. It was meant to separate, to put the rich and the powerful at the top and to turn everyone else against each other. And yet here's this group of people from different stations and walks of life who are gathered around the table and call each other brothers and sisters who say they're members of the same body, who belong to, believe in a kingdom that is greater than the empire of Rome. It's social revolution. Andy Crouch writes about it this way. He says, while the citizens of Rome's colonies celebrated the good news that came through Augustus Caesar, in those very cities, there were first a few people, then a few more, and then by no means just a few who believed they had good news that could turn the world upside down. Soon enough, the empire would recognize them and train its violence directly upon Paul and his friends. But for now, let us leave them in the fading light of an afternoon where Tertius is carefully folding up the final copy of a letter he wrote as Paul sits down silent for a moment as the members of Gaius's household begin to prepare the evening meal. Tonight they will lift up the bread and the cup. Perhaps Paul will teach. There will be psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. They will greet one another with a holy kiss, these members of God's household, who even now are arriving from every corner of Corinth, women and men, young and old, Jew and Gentile, of high birth and low, Many of them, as they make their way to Gaius' house through the streets, are scarcely noticed and certainly not notable. Some of them don't even have proper names. But as they arrive and join the feast, every one of them is welcomed in the Lord as is fitting among saints, because every one of them is a person. Isn't that beautiful? That's our heritage, that's our story. That's the church. That's what we are called to be. A community where everyone is connected, where everyone belongs, where everyone is seen, where every single person, regardless of age, stage, circumstance of life, every single person is welcomed as a person, as a brother and as a sister. In our world, same as in the Roman world, there are all too many forces that work to divide and separate us. And if we buy too much into those narratives, it gets harder and harder to even see each other as people, as persons. But the gospel of Jesus Christ reminds us that we are all brothers and sisters. We are all connected together. And so that's what we're going to be talking about for the next month. There's so much more I want to say, but I'm going to stop here. Um, but let me say one more thing, I guess. This series began with Tracy and Zach, our youth pastor. I asked them, I said, hey, 
In August, everyone's going back to school. Let's do a series that's focused on family ministry. And, and in my head, I was thinking it'd be something fun, like, hey, we're going back to school, you know? And they said, what we want to do is we want to talk about the interconnected community, what it looks like when the church is connected. You know, not just, you know, peer to peer, but when the connection runs all the ways across and it connects young and old and single and married and, and white and black and brown, when we're all left and right, when we're all connected together, because that's the kind of community we want our children and our youth to know. That's the kind of community we want to be. And Zach shared with me a quote from Leslie Newbegin goes like this. It says, words cannot make the gospel understandable until a community makes the gospel meaningful. And so this is our hope, not just for this series, but for our church, that we might be the kind of community that makes the gospel meaningful, that makes the gospel understandable, that makes the good news of Jesus Christ real. Amen? Yeah.